Welcome to Campfire Football. I'm Sebastian North. This is episode 63. For those of you who are consistent listeners, who have been patiently waiting for this next episode, thanks for waiting. Thanks for sticking around. This is summer's first of two cups and the end of really that little bit of a lull that we have when the European season ends and everything starts to get geared up for the next phase. For me, personally, the youth season is finally over. Tryouts are done. Players are placed for next year. We did all our tournaments. Everything's finally wrapped up. So now we can move on to what's really exciting for the summer, major tournaments, and everything is just really exciting. I mean, the transfer market already looks like it's going to be insane. So let's get ready for a really exciting June and July. And I want to start out with one small story here. This is the end of the European Championships for the under-21s. Really kind of an impressive end to this. I had actually expected Portugal to win the whole thing. Uh, Their young generation that they've been coming through is is really quite impressive. There's so many good young players that are still that are under 21 that have already been involved in the first team that similar to France, you're seeing a really deep well of talent here. And I thought that they were excellent from the very beginning all the way through. Surprisingly, they were beaten by Germany in the final 1-0. And that I say surprisingly not because Germany's not good, but I had actually probably picked maybe three four other teams to to finish to to win it aside from even Portugal, uh, France, Denmark, Holland, they were all in the picture. I thought that Italy was really good as well. England were underperforming. They were really never going to go anywhere, but there was a lot of talent there in the end. And Spain was actually quite good as well. In the end, Germany get it done. Very efficient to way, the way they do it, of course, right? It's always going to be that way with Germany. And, and, and typically simple in the way that they went ahead and won the final. I looked at an extended highlights and they were able to just deal with the talent and the flair that Portugal were able to bring. Any of the intensity, they managed the game really well. So it's very interesting when you watch these young tournaments, how does a team manage games in order to win the thing? There's some teams that go out high-octane football, lots of talent, and it doesn't really quite get them over the line the way they would like to. So that was that. Now, as we move on, I think there's a tournament that, gets a lot of flack, all right? This is the Nations League. It's a worldwide thing. It's not just Europa like Nations League. It's everywhere. So some people really don't agree with this thing. It's an added tournament. It's FIFA trying to pack the schedule. Okay, fine. But it's kind of nice to see it sort of work. Now, uh, the first Nations League iteration, I actually really enjoyed, okay? The, the first time we got to see this going on, we got to see games where, you know, Luxembourg is playing against you know, Slovenia in a game and it's a quality game and it's close. And then Armenia is playing against in a a clash against Azerbaijan right across the border. Big, big, big local rivalry. Things like that can happen. And they're games where there's actually something for them to play for because they can win potentially and finish higher in a group and maybe get seeded better for a tournament. These things help. Now, when we look at the qualifying for especially Europe, you end up with these tiny, tiny teams always put in a group where there's a high likelihood they'll maybe score twice and lose every other game and lose every game by an enormous scoreline. The Nations League at least offered a certain layer of competition for all these teams really in the brackets that they belong in. And I I thought that was a really, really good idea. It ended up going to they did a final four, they did a final, Portugal won it. And I mean, 
I remember saying to people, tell Cristiano Ronaldo that the Nations League trophy he just won is a rubbish piece of silverware he doesn't need to think about or care about or worry about. No, for him, he's got the European Championships in his belt, and now he's got the Nations League. All that's missing is the World Cup for him. And I think a lot of players can take some pride in that, and the, the Nations League can mean something in certain senses. So the CONCACAF Nations League went to its Final Four this past weekend here. Here in Denver, lovely, sunny Colorado, we were able to host it. I, I was really excited. Unfortunately, I was able to go to nothing. I was able to go to none of the games because I was coaching. There were tournaments, tryouts, everything was going on. A good amount of my players went, and they said they had an awesome time. So very excited for that. It started out with a semifinal. Uh, the United States played against Honduras. They won. Mexico played against Costa Rica in the other. Mexico won to set up this sort of grandstand finale, final, whatever you want to say. Uh, here in Denver between Mexico and the USA, which, by the way, that is always going to be good. The, the Mexico, whenever there is a game here between Mexico and the United States, even if Mexico and someone else, if it's here in Denver, you get an enormous, enormous amount of people going because our Mexican population is massive here, which is great. It's great. It makes the food a lot better. It makes everything, the football better. It makes just life and culture better. So I, I love it. And, and every time we have these international games, they're packed. It's really excited. It, and the cool thing about this one is this is a lead up sort of for the 2026 World Cup. Now, we have two stadiums here in Denver that are major grounds for that can host a football match. Number one is Dick Sporting Goods Park, which is where the Rapids play. And... That's the MLS team. And then Invesco Field at Mile High, or it's I think it's called Empower Field at Mile High. It was Mile High Stadium. That's what it is. That's the actual Broncos American football stadium, 70,000 seat or whatever. That's where they hosted the game last night. And, okay, not totally packed crowd because of COVID regulations still increasing to capacity. But amazing atmosphere, amazing environment, and just a actually a really, really good advert for Anything that has to do with CONCACAF, really, because CONCACAF is a difficult region to get going right now. You have all the island nations, Central American countries who are strong, but only in phases. Canada, we're still waiting for them to wake up. And then there's Mexico and the United States. That's kind of how it tends to roll out. Honduras, in their third place match, which, by the way, took place right before the final in the same stadium. So, again, for everyone who wanted to go watch, this is a good, great little event that was able to take place. This was a really exciting game. Uh, for Game for third place. Ended 2-2. Great back and forth match. Costa Rica end up coming short on penalties. And the, the, the crucial part was this save that the Costa Rican goalkeeper, uh, Leonel Moreira, he dives to his right and the ball is comes right at his shins, shot down the middle. And he seems to make the save. The ball hits the ground and is spinning, and then about a second later, it just rolls in the goal. Really unlucky. In the end, Honduras go on to win the penalty shootout, so great for them to finish third. You know, Establishing themselves as more of uh, a really competitive unit in this region, I think it's always good to have someone join Costa Rica, Mexico, and the United States. And in the end, great little tee-off for what would be the final between Mexico and the U.S., and, and what a cracker this was. It finishes 3-2. Uh, goes all the way to extra time, and it had everything. It had VAR, it had controversy, it had you know bad temper moments between the players where they all had to be calmed down. 
Uh, Tata Martino, the Mexican coach, got sent off. I think it got it got fiery and a little bad tempered a few times. But this is this is normal in this kind of in this kind of fixture. What you always hope for is goals and some quality. And honestly, in the end, it really delivered. Checked out a, a good long extended highlights and saw that th- this had a lot to it. There was a lot about this game, a lot about both teams, and I think we're learning where they're going to be come next year when they're really getting ready to go to the World Cup. I have to say I'm excited about both teams. Mexico look really strong, a lot of good young players. And the United States, it's the same thing. But these young players are ones who are really making a name on the biggest stage across Europe. So we can be sure that this rivalry is only going to intensify, especially as we go into the summer. Now, before I get into the game fully, one thing I want to mention, again, about the Nations League yeah, okay, the Nations League in CONCACAF is not excellent. It's similar to the World Cup qualifying. There just aren't enough teams at a very high level. There's a, a small select crew that operate in the World Cup level, and then everyone else is pretty much just small, small t- small teams and countries who maybe once in a generation are able to put together a squad that can make a charge at the World Cup. We also have the Gold Cup here, which is... And in a lot of ways, most people would rec- would consider this a second-rate trophy. It's like we don't participate in the Copa America with with the entire Conmebol and all the stars that are down there. We've got our own little North American tournament called La Copa de Oro, the Gold Cup, and it's kind of weak, right? But there have been some good storylines throughout, you know, times where there's been some classic games. But it's a game like this Nations League final, a 3-2 thriller that goes to the end where everyone really wants to win. It sets up even more for the next one. It sets up the stage for both teams to be even more invested, to really put out their big their lineups, to not just go and experiment with all their giant player pool, but when they face these this opposition for a trophy, regardless of what the trophy's called, they're going to go for it, and then we're going to get games like this on a consistent basis. And it's, it's also good for these two teams. This rivalry is the only thing that can really push them to operate and compete on the world stage. So... This game started out right away, firecracker, Jesus Corona, with a really, really nice piece of pressing. I think anyone who watches this game, if you're a coach, you see this and you're like, man, that's clever. And maybe some of you may think, oh, Mark McKenzie, terrible pass, it gets cut out. But look at Jesus Corona's run-up. This is a minute and 20 seconds into the game that they scored. He is coming up on Mark McKenzie, and a lot of us coaches, when we tell players to initiate a press, we tell them to cut off the passing angle first to the wide player and slowly start to squeeze in to make it predictable for everyone else where they're going to go. Well, Mark McKenzie had two passing options. He had DeAndre Yedlin out on the wing, and he had Weston McKinney sitting right in a sixth position where he could go inside. Jesus Corona did not what most of us coach. He actually darted inside just for a second to cut the pass to McKinney, knowing that Mark McKenzie would immediately go wide. And as soon as Mark McKenzie started to line up his pass, he stepped in front, cut out the pass, Scored with a really, really good finish. And I feel for Mark McKenzie because I think he just got outthought in the moment by a very, very clever piece of play. Jesus Corona, got to say, great finish, great way to start the game and get us going. Mexico almost get a 2 nothing lead. Header at the back post from uh, 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 second phase of a set piece. It was marginal, it was close, but it did look offside in the end. It went to VAR, they had to do the whole thing. The angle that you see in the replays, it makes him look a little bit onside, but you know you're not actually in line with the play. So, goal gets chalked off. Mexico feel hard done by in the moment, and it doesn't take long for the U.S. to actually capitalize on 
getting out from being avoiding being 2-0 down. They come through and score. Giovanni Reina gets his first goal at international at the senior level. And this goal comes from a corner kick struck by Christian Pulisic and a very, very good header by Weston McKinney. Now, this is a warning sign because what happened for the the entire game, the United States were so dangerous on every corner kick. I mean, it got to the point where you're thinking, just put the ball wide, cross it in, get the deflection, get another corner kick because you're dangerous on every one. Weston McKinney sent warning shots out throughout the game that he would probably eventually score, which he did from a corner, and that the U.S. were always going to pose problems here. Ochoa, I mean, he's... The GOAT of Mexican goalkeeping, he has to be. The amount, of, the amount of games I've seen where this guy just stands on his head and makes save after save after save, he has been he, – he's, he's one of Mexico's greatest debts over the last, uh, over last decade. And, and, and believe me, that's a good thing to have a goalkeeper that has always given the rest of your players the opportunity to shine in a bigger way. So big props to him, but wasn't able to keep all of them out. In the end, Mexico actually Mexico were able to get a 2-1 lead. So 1-1, Ethan Horvath has to replace Zach Steffen in goal. Not ideal for the United States. And then Mexico go ahead and take the lead 2-1. A honestly pretty 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 good piece of play. This is Diego Linus, young man, comes on. It's really the first opportunity he's got in this rivalry to make an impact. He comes off the bench and scores almost right away to make it 2-1. And what an announcement for him. He is the youngest player to score in this rivalry against the USA for Mexico since 2009. So, again, great for the future of the rivalry. Great to push it on a little bit. And wonderful for him. Then, Weston McKinney, within just two minutes, scores a header on the corner kick. Gets himself free at the far post. Mexico really need to sort out their marking on corners. They were leaving people open all day. And Weston McKinney finally gets the goal he deserves. Ochoa got a hand to this one, but just couldn't quite keep it out. A few minutes later, we game ends. 2-2. Okay. On we go to extra time. Christian Pulisic in the second part of extra time gets himself a penalty with a very nice run. Cuts between two defenders. Gets body checked. Penalty, maybe, maybe not. Some people definitely disagree with it. I think it's a good enough call. It works. And Christian Pulisic dispatches this in the top right corner. Absolutely terrific penalty. And you're thinking the U.S. has got this. They're going to win. And in stoppage time of the 120, Kellen Acosta is judged to have handled the ball in the box, gives Mexico a penalty after a VAR check. Now, this one is difficult for me because the players are jumping in the air, you know, because it's, it's a corner kick. They're going up for the ball. And as he is landing, the header comes down and sort of just hits his arm, which is down by his side. It's not glued to his body, but it's down in a normal, natural position. Ball hits his hand. He has no, knows nothing about it. Mexico get the penalty. I actually disagree with that decision pretty much entirely. I, I just don't think that's a penalty. But at the same time, the rules now with the with the handball, is so, they're so difficult for us to understand. I mean, how are the referees, when they're talking to the VAR booth, how do they know exactly what's going on? Well, they're looking through the rules. They're trying to decide. In the end, it, it feels a little bit wrong. But guess what? This is where Ethan Horvath steps up, makes an amazing save on the penalty down low. Right at the end, the United States are able to keep the ball out for a couple more minutes, and they win 3-2. Now, I want to focus on 
Ethan Horvath, who, ha- I mean, he has to be the hero here. I mean, I know other people scored, other people played well, but he comes on, young man, he's he's definitely definitely second string, maybe even third string goalkeeper for the U.S. national team. Zach Steffen is firmly the number one, and he comes on 69 minutes into the game for an injured number one goalkeeper, and he's got to do his part. Did well, did very well, made a few good saves, but this is above and beyond, being called in to, to save a penalty. And here is why it's so sweet for him. I'm wearing the Colorado Rapids shirt, if you watch this video. I'm wearing the Colorado Rapids shirt, the 96 edition. I've got a couple signatures on it as well. This is from the inaugural season. Because Ethan Horvath is a Colorado native. He was born and bred in Highlands Ranch. And this is, you know, suburb of the Denver area. And he's been someone who we've been excited about in the state for quite a few years now. Went to He plays at Bruges right now. Played at Moldes. It's just a very, very... Um, it's just a very nice story to have this guy come through and make this save, have this big moment. You can imagine if he's playing at home, this matters even more. He's got family in the crowd, and it's just look, it's a beautiful thing to have that moment as a goalkeeper. You don't you don't get many in your career, especially in your home ground, in your hometown. I mean, if the guy's ever been to a Broncos game at home, he's been in that stadium, you know, probably as a kid watching American football. And he never could have imagined, I would think, that he would be saving a penalty against Mexico in the final minute of the CONCACAF Nations League to help lift the trophy. I think that's a beautiful story. Here's what he had to say about it. And by the way, real quick, you're from the Denver area, aren't you? So, so were you home, in a way, playing in front of home fans, friendly, uh, family, etc.? Yeah, it was incredible. I needed 21 tickets last night, so uh, uh, yeah, I, uh, I can't put it into words. You know, to play in my hometown like that in front of my family and friends, it's uh, uh, I'm speechless about it. You know, it's it's something I will never forget. And that's it for the week. Well. For the two weeks that we've been missing. I know there's so much to cover. Everything's going on. Transfers are being rolled out and shaked out all over the place. Coaches are being, you know, replaced, sacked, everything, hired. It's it's going to be a fun time to actually go through this on a daily basis. I'm excited. We're also going into the Euros. And, you know, we're going to have the Gold Cup, like I said. And we will also have the Copa America. I mean, this is going to be a great, great summer of football. My hope is to also bring you guys a lot more interviews with people that I like to talk to. Please, if you have not yet, go back one episode, check out the interview I did with Claire from EPL Rec. She's awesome. She's a Man United fan. We talked about the Europa League final from a Man U perspective and the Champions League final from a Chelsea fan perspective for me. So it, it was really, really fun. I, I recommend you check out her show. I really like it. She's a fun person to listen to, has a wonderful voice, and good knowledge on football. And this is what we're all about. So, everybody, thank you very much for stopping by, for sticking around, for believing in Campfire Football. Don't worry, if I let it get down to small embers, don't be concerned. I'll always come back out with a bunch more fuel to get this thing relit. All right, everybody, thanks so much for stopping by. This is Campfire Football. Take it easy.